This week on Geek Explained, with Superman's future uncertain at DC Comics, we're taking a look back at his past as we explore our favorite Superman origin stories with special guest Jason Inman. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about Superman origin stories. You know, Superman's in a weird place right now. He's kind of in between creators. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis just wrapped up his run on the character, and Philip Kennedy Johnson's really kind of kicks off this week with uh, a big future state book that is uh, highly anticipated before he dives right into the golden age two-parter that will give way to his era of superman comics so i thought it would be cool to take a look back at superman's origins there's been a ton of superman origin stories over the years and uh to talk about superman i had to bring in some help so i enlisted the talents of one Mr. Jason Inman, who you may be familiar with. He's been all over the place working with DC Comics, has his own incredible podcast, Geek History Lesson, and is currently a comic writer extraordinaire with books like Jupiter Jet as well as Science and a brand new book that he'll be talking about later on. So we had an amazing discussion about Superman origin stories that I cannot wait to share with you. We also have the return of the weekly review with WandaVision. Oh, I cannot wait to talk to you guys about WandaVision. I I am so happy. Spoiler alert. I really, really liked it, but I can't wait to talk about it with you guys and gals. And then, of course, this week's comics countdown rounding out the podcast. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. <laughs> All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Going to kick things off with a pretty exciting piece of miscellaneous news, that being that Ubisoft, the video game developer behind such amazing franchises <laughs> as uh, Splinter Cell, Assassin's Creed, The Division, etc., etc., um, has committed to developing an open-world Star Wars game. Uh, LucasArts, the kind of parent company for all of uh, Star Wars gaming, uh, has, I think... Uh, expired its exclusivity with EA. So EA can still make Star Wars games, but they're not the only game in town when it comes to making uh, Lucasfilm games. That's where we got the announcement for the Bethesda Indiana Jones game. And here, Ubisoft is going to be making an open world Star Wars game. I think that's really exciting, especially if they lean into the um, Mass Effect style. I know it's a different company, but... Um, yeah, I think this could be really exciting. Um, if they decide to go like the Mandalorian route, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't blame them whatsoever, nor would I complain about it. I've been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla for a little while now, and it's, you know, it's not a perfect game, but I'm enjoying the heck out of it, and I I think this is good news. I'm really excited about this. Uh, jumping into comics news now, two pieces of comics news, one from both sides of the aisle. First off, uh, the one I'm less excited about, which is over at Marvel. Uh, Marvel has announced that Miles Morales is going to be getting a redux of one of the most infamous Spider-Man stories of all time, which is his very own clone saga. That's right. Miles Morales is getting his very own clone saga sometime later this year, and no one is excited about it. No one asked for this. I don't know why they're doing this, but apparently they're going to be doing it. So we will just have to see. I don't know what um, this is going to entail, but fingers crossed it's not as bad as last time. Uh, Also, on the comics front, in a much more exciting piece of news, DC has unveiled its solicits for the month of April. This is post-Future State. This is post um, kind of the big reset that's going to be going on uh, with DC when it comes to Infinite Frontier, all the March stuff. And uh, there's some really interesting books. So first off, we have a new Green Lantern book. Uh, We've talked about it before. We've kind of covered it. Uh, Jeffrey Thorne and Dexter Sawyer are going to be kind of helming it, but the the synopsis for this is really interesting, so I'm just going to read it real quick. Um, As this new Green Lantern series begins, the newly formed United Planets and the Guardians of the Universe hold an intergalactic summit to decide who can best serve and protect the cosmos from danger. With a majority of Green Lanterns called back to Oa, Jon Stewart arrives alongside Teen Lantern Kelly Quintella, whose powerful gauntlet could be one of the most powerful and unstable weapons in this universe. With the entire landscape of the universe in flux, is this the end of the Green Lantern Corps or new beginning so i'm of two minds about this Uh, i like bringing new characters in i like bringing uh characters that can kind of shake up the status quo shake up the energy of a book and bringing in you know mini lantern teen lantern uh into the book is gonna definitely shake things up when it comes to the power dynamic between all the green lanterns This is a little troubling for me because I feel like as we're heading into this next um, this next phase of whatever the DC books are, we are seeing more Bendis creations, which make which gives me pause. I don't want to, but it is it is giving me pause and I am wondering exactly where this is going to go. But uh, I will withhold my judgment until I see it. Uh, The big news of the week, though, when it comes to the books, uh, was a brand new Robin Solo series. I was very excited when I heard we were getting a new Robin Solo series. I was like, okay, wonderful. They're building off of the momentum of Robin Eternal, which you know I loved. Um, Spoilers. But I, I was foolish thinking that that meant that we are going to be getting a brand new Tim Drake solo series because it's a Damian Wayne series. Of course it is. Of course it is. Even though he abandoned the Robin name right before, you know, death metal and all this stuff, but whatever, you know, whatever. Um, this is going to be helmed by Joshua Williamson with Gleb Melnikov on art, uh, which is great. I love that creative team. Big, big fan of both of those creators. However, this, um, This synopsis, again, gives me pause, so let me go and read it out. 
After learning of the Deadly League of Lazarus tournament, Damian Wayne has a new mission, winning the tournament and prove he is the best, or he is the greatest fighter in the DC universe. But first he must find the secret island where it's all going down. This brand new solo Robin series will force Damian Wayne to find his own path away from both sides of his family. New mysteries, new supporting cast, first appearances of new characters, and lots of fights. Um, why is this Robin? Like, I get it. I get it. Like, Robin is the more, I guess, appropriate uh, or more uh, widely marketable title, which is called The Stamian Son of Batman. They had a book called this already. And this, I have problems with this. Um, first off, Cassandra Kane is the greatest fighter in the entire DC universe. So I don't, I don't know what to tell you, but... That's just, that's an undisputable fact. <laughs> um, and just, I don't understand why this is a Robin book. I I get it. Again, they wanted to, oh, it's, it's we got to market it as a Robin book. But I just, I'm worried about it. Um, I do like, like I said, I really do like the creative team. I think I'm a, you know, I'm a sucker for a tournament arc, but we will just have to see. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about this. Another one that I'm worried about, and I hate to be negative about this stuff. You know, I do, but I can't help it is Batman, the dark Knight, with Taylor, Kubert and Anderson at the helm. That's of course, Tom Taylor with Andy Kubert. And Brad Anderson. Um, so, this is the thing. This past week, Tom Taylor was talking about, like, I have a new book. I have a new book that's going to be announced really soon. It's another DC project. And again, foolish, foolishly, I thought, oh, this is because he's been dabbling with the JSA a little bit. Maybe it's a JSA book. Uh, he's been dabbling with green arrow as well this is we're finally going to get that green arrow and black canary book because that hasn't been announced they're showing up in the uh, justice league book but normally those kind of characters get another book on top of that and i you know again i foolishly thought oh this is going to be something cool and then it's another batman book um which again, I again, I love these. I love this creative team. I really, really do. Andy Kubert is a legend, and Tom Taylor, like I said, is probably my favorite writer in comics right now. But I'm very concerned because it's another Batman book. Um, let me read the synopsis real quick. Uh, it says an epic tale begins that will take Batman on a harrowing action-packed European adventure in a new miniseries by superstar creators, Tom Taylor and Andy Kubert, a, hor a horrific tragedy in the United Kingdom sends a very personal and deadly message to the dark, to the dark night. One that will draw Batman out of Gotham city to investigate from the moment he lands in Europe. Batman will face a difficult investigation and unheard of adversaries and the assistance of a partner once more, all in the hunt for the villain known as equilibrium, new villains, new allies, a thrilling overseas adventure begins for the dark Knight, starting with an exercise 26 page debut story. So that is a concept. Sounds interesting. Um, They've also talked about, with the release of this, that this is going to be like an older, world-weary Batman. Cool. Sure. Um, but looking at the art for this, the two covers that they have released, this looks like Nightmare Batman from uh, Batman v Superman, from Zack Snyder's Batman. So this feels to me that this is a Zack Snyder Batman book. And the fact that this is coming out right after 
March, where the Snyder Cut is rumored to appear, this feels to me like it's just trying to cash in on the Snyder Cut, which I feel like is disingenuous and kind of, it bothers the hell out of me. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I really, really do. I said it on Twitter, like, I hope I'm wrong about this, but this feels like a hollow Batman book trying to capitalize off the Snyder Cut. And I have faith in Tom Taylor. I have faith in Andy Kubert. Um, but again, we'll just, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, a couple of books that I'm actually excited about, though. We're getting a follow-up to The Next Batman with a digital-only series called The Next Batman Second Son. This is being helmed by John Ridley with art by Tony Akins, Travel Foreman, and Mark Morales. Uh, this is apparently going to be like an origin story, like how... Uh, how Tim Fox became the next Batman. Synopsis goes like this. Uh, readers know now that after the events of Future State, Tim Fox is the next Batman. But what's his origin story? Why has he been estranged from Lucius Fox and his family for so long? Connected to the dramatic events of March's Infinite Frontier Number 1, these questions and many more will be explored in this thrilling new digital first miniseries. So... Uh, this kind of seems like it's going to be the primer for new readers to be like, oh, who's Tim Fox? Well, here's Tim Fox. Um, so I I think this is great. I love the first cover of this looks really dynamic. I'm really excited about this. I think the next Batman is a fresh story that I'm very excited to explore further. Uh, another story that I'm kind of excited about is Challenge of the Super Sons, written by uh, Peter J. Tomasi, who helmed the original Super Sons book with art by Max Rayner and uh, cover by George Jimenez, who also was with uh, Tomasi on that original Super Sons book. Um, this is interesting to me because of two things. First off, I love the Super Sons. Also, I don't know where in continuity this falls because this is showing very much pre or this is pretty much showing rebirth era Damien and John. So this is either picking up directly after the f the last Super Sons book or something is going on with continuity. Let's go ahead and read the synopsis. The boys are back picking up where the sensational adventures of the Super Sons left off answer that question <laughs> the sons of batman and superman are back in the spotlight and ready to give evil a good spanking but are robin and superboy in over their heads this time a mysterious woman from beyond time has appeared to the dcu's favorite sons and her arrival heralds certain doom that's a hint everyone of things to come in fact it seems she's sent the boys on a bogus journey that they've already returned from huh what did the boys learn that they were whisked away why on earth do they have to save the Flash from instant death? Tune in for the first chapter of the most epic odyssey Robin and Superboy have ever been on. So that sounds interesting, and it does seem like there are going to be timeline shenanigans that will ensue. So uh, I'm into this. And then there's a couple more that I'm excited about. Um, namely, let me find it. Because we do have the, uh, the stuff for the next uh superman and action comics books which i'm excited about uh we're getting a spinoff to american vampire the continuation of the tynan batman book i'm scrolling through this as quickly as i can we've also got that um that batman urban legends book that's going to be coming out but the Batman Superman one is the one I want to talk about last on here because I really dig this. Uh, we already know, written by Jean Lun Yang with art by Ivan Race, um, but the cover of this has been released and it's showing 
a very much 1938 Superman alongside a 1939 style, or 1940, I guess, style Batman and Robin. And I just want to go over this. Uh, Batman Superman number 17. Uh, the synopsis is, In a world where Superman's rocket never reached Earth, the Dark Knight and his sidekick discover a startling rift between dimensions. On the other side, a world where Martha Wayne survived and Bruce never grew up to be Batman. Not only that, but a strange alien has emerged from the rift who's faster than a locomotive and can leap tall buildings in a single bound. The Superman of Metropolis. When these worlds collide, the architects of this alternate history are revealed, and the only ones who can thwart their deadly experiments are the Batman and Superman of Earth Zero. It's a dynamic dual world adventure. So this is multiple Batman, multiple Superman, but you know I'm a sucker for those classic Golden Age uh, Superman and Batman stories. So I'm really excited about this. Um, so this this comics news is a little bit of column A, a little bit column B when it comes to good and bad stuff, but we will just have to see. Jumping over to film news, speaking of the Snyder Cut, uh, Snyder Cut is officially a four-hour film. Zack Snyder confirmed that it will not be a miniseries as previously um uh, rumored, and that it is officially going to be a four-hour single-shot film. Uh, we also got our first look at Mortal Kombat, which is coming out pretty soon, I think, a couple months from now. We still haven't gotten a trailer, but it looks good. If nothing else, it will be the best Mortal Kombat film we've gotten so far. Um, and then two pieces of MCU news. First off, we have some set pictures from Spider-Man 3, which is currently filming. Uh, looks like that Spidey has gotten an updated suit. Uh, they are still going with the suit that he built at the end of Far From Home, which I love. Love, love, love that suit. But it looks like they've done some uh, modifications to it, mostly to like the belt area. They've streamlined it a little bit. Um, I'm still hoping, because we haven't gotten pictures yet, of the back spider. I hope it's now red instead of white. Uh, we, we will see, but the, I think just as interesting photos that we've gotten show, uh, Peter and, uh, Michelle, I almost forgot the character, uh, Zendaya, um, in a holiday-esque, uh, setting, which might lean towards this being Christmas time. Um, you know how much I love Christmas time, uh, superhero stories, so I am all over that. And then finally, speaking of the MCU, there are rumors circulating right now that Christopher Evans, Christopher Evansby, the Steve Rogers, may be returning to the MCU already. Um, I have complicated feelings about this. You know how much I love that version of Steve Rogers. You know how much I love Chris Evans in the role. But his story concluded at Endgame. And I don't know what they would accomplish by bringing him back with the exception of maybe doing Secret Empire, which is, oh, I don't know. Um, but if they have a chance to tell Secret Empire, which if you have checked out our Tale of Two Captain Americas episode that we did with uh, Malcolm Russell Nelson, one of my favorite episodes, um the story of Secret Empire really builds to a point where it can be the greatest Sam Wilson Captain America story ever before it just falls apart at the end. And if they decide to retell this story but give it the correct ending, I think the story will be all the better for it. But we will just have to see from there. And then finally, in TV news, some pretty exciting TV news, I think. Uh, first off, Ethan Hawke. I, I tried to think of something that I've seen him in recently. Um, 
but I, I, I can't. I think the most recent thing I saw him in was uh, Magnificent Seven. Is that bad? I like the Magnificent Seven. But uh, Ethan Hawke has joined Moon Knight as its villain. We don't know what villain he's going to be portraying, but I like it. I like the idea of having Ethan Hawke go up against Oscar Isaac. It is going to be a good time, and I'm really excited about Moon Knight. Uh we also know now that Peaky Blinders, one of my favorite shows, uh, is going to be ending with the upcoming season six, which just started filming again because of uh, COVID-19 delays. Uh, they have said that the story will be concluding as a show, but that the uh, story will continue on in another format, which I'm assuming means six seasons in a movie. We'll see. But um, it's I'm sad to see Peaky Blinders go, but they have it set up to be an incredible finale, and I can't wait to see how it all shakes out. Uh, we are also getting some rumors circulating around right now about the possible return of Batman the Animated Series, with it coming to uh, HBO Max alongside pretty much everything that the DC Universe app once had. Um, this is exciting. And I'm going to say that I'm going to try my damnedest as a voice actor to be part of that return if it does happen. Kevin Smith has kind of been the one stoking the flames so far for this, but time will tell. And then finally, if you missed it, this past Monday, as of this recording, was the premiere of season two of Batwoman, with Ryan Wilder stepping into the role portrayed by Javisha Leslie. And I gotta say, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it pro pretty much just as much if not more than the uh premiere for the first season i will say oh kate kane died in a plane crash is super uh lame but uh they didn't find a body as far as we can tell so it opens the door for her to return later on down the line we'll see we'll see what happens um i think that Ryan Wilder is an interesting character. I think they made some choices when it came to her backstory, which I think could have been uh, handled better. But uh, we will we will just have to see. I am I am optimistic, if not positive, about it. Uh, but speaking of new origin stories for certain characters, uh, that wraps up the news and is going to transition us straight on into the main course the entree if you will of this week's episode which is talking about my favorite superman origin stories with special guest jason inman All right, ladies and gentlemen, so with Superman and DC Comics kind of really on the tip of the tongue of comic fans all over the place, Future State's going on right now, we've got a big push and kind of a question on what DC Comics is going to be going forward past Future State, Infinite Frontier, all this stuff going on. I thought it'd be cool to kind of look back, especially looking back on stuff like I just the history of certain characters, certain DC Comics characters, and you know how much I love Superman. So for today's episode, we are going to be talking all about our favorite Superman origin stories. And to talk about Superman, I am really excited because I was able to get one of the biggest Superman fans that I have ever met. And he is also uh, one of the most accomplished 
comics nerds that you can ask for when it comes to podcasting, when it comes to geek media. It is Jason Inman. Jason, how are you doing? Great. Uh, thank you so much for having me on here. Absolutely. Or should I say up, up, and away? I, I don't know what's <laughs> proper. I love it. I love it. So um, basically what we're going to be doing here is Jason and I each have a pick for what our favorite Superman origin story is. And the format's kind of going to go like this. So we'll do a brief synopsis of our picks. We'll talk about the creators involved, how we were introduced to it, and then kind of dive into how uh, or really why we chose this as our favorite Superman origin story. So uh, just for listeners who may not be uh, super familiar with you and your works, would you like to give a little bit of your bona fides when it comes to your comic book knowledge as well as your Superman fandom? Uh, sure. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, I'm sorry. Hello. Um, <laughs> I am a Ringo nominated comic book writer of uh, Jupiter Jet and the Jupiter Jet series Science uh, and Super Soldiers, which is also a nonfiction book. Uh, I also work for CBS television. I worked on such shows as The Code. Uh, but a lot of people know me from my podcast, Geek History Lesson. And a lot of times my face was on a lot of DVDs of Suicide Squad because I was the host of DC All Access, the DC Comics YouTube show for about three and a half years. So if that's why my voice sounds familiar, I apologize. And also, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> so as you can as you can see, uh, Jason knows his stuff and he has been a longtime Superman fan. In fact, I believe you're also a uh, farm boy from Kansas, aren't you? I am a farm boy from Kansas, which is part of the reason why I have this deep, intense love. Now, I've seen a couple people on the internet recently just being like, just because you're from Kansas um, and just because you're from a farm doesn't mean that you automatically have this connection to Superman, which is totally true. Superman is of the world. But I literally grew up in southeast Kansas where the closest airport was two hours away. So my town, the closest town was called Stark, has a population of less than 72 people. I've never met a single person in my entire life that did not live in that town that knew where it was. So I generally say I'm from Smallville as well. And people are like, oh, yeah, I know where that's at. Doesn't exist. It's fictional. <laughs> so, I mean, really, you you did live in the in the real world Smallville. And how how were you introduced to Superman? How did that kind of come into your life? I was introduced to Superman by the death of Superman, actually, which I know is kind of weird, but when the death of Superman happened, it was on the news. It was a giant news story, and that is what basically made me consider buying a comic because I saw the trade paperback for Death of Superman in a gas station in that uh, small town, and it was the first time that I realized that DC Comics continuity was a shared universe. I thought Batman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern and all those things were in their own books and not connected. And then when I saw them at Superman's funeral, it blew my mind and it created this intense love of DC Comics continuity because I wanted to know who who were all those people on that giant splash page of his funeral. That's super interesting. And, and it's it's kind of cool that you were introduced to the character in such like a pivotal point in his history, even though I guess you were 
getting into the character right around the time he died. I guess, it, I guess it'd be similar to if people were introduced to Captain America by the death of Captain America post-Civil War. Pretty good story, actually, the death of Captain America. So a- Absolutely. One of my favorites. It led into uh, one of my favorite Captain America runs, the Bucky Cap. Oh, man, I'm a big fan of Bucky Cap as well. You want to bring me back on for Bucky Cap? Let's talk. Let's do it. Um, Absolutely. That is penciled in already. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Um, You know, it's interesting because I think you you stumbled onto it that the death of Superman, of course, is a storyline. And then Funeral for a Friend, you know, the continuation of that is a series about the impact that Superman made in that fictional universe. And so in a lot of ways, I think I absorbed that unconsciously, this idea that we had this story of all these characters being like, no, Superman, don't die. And I was like, oh, man, yeah, I hope he comes back to life real soon. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's really interesting how that impact that he has, you know, we had, I think, you know, at least for decades past it people still look back on it people reference it in the comics about how much you know there's this killer line i think it was an infinite crisis where batman says to him he was like the last time people looked up to you the last time people believed in you was when you were dead and it's this really interesting um kind of flashpoint for people on like this was kind of what started this huge obsession with uh characters coming back from the dead with uh legacy characters i mean we had had a legacy character step into uh his mentor's role with Wally West post Christ on Infinite Earths. But with the whole death of Superman, reign of the Superman, it was a really interesting time for Superman as a character because I mean, I'm all I could say is like the readers didn't know, like, is he coming back? Are these going to be our new Superman going forward? And like people I'm sure were, you know, had, had their favorites. I was always a Superboy kid because I mean, it's the nineties and that design is probably the most early nineties design you could give to a character. Oh, I'm so glad they put him back in that design though, because it is so nineties that it is iconic. And I agree with you. I was just like that. I thought these characters were going to be the new Superman. Now it's funny. I've talked to, some more, let's say, elder statesmen of the comic book community. <laughs> and I asked them, you know, they were a little bit older when the death of Superman happened. And I said, well, when he died, how long did you give? Like, how long did you think he was actually going to go away? And most of them have told me they were like, oh, I wasn't fooled. Six months at the most. And it's so funny because <laughs> I remember as a kid being like, he could be dead for years. I also, as being brand new to the comic book continuity, my exposure to Superman at that time was you know, just Superman's always in the pop culture. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you grow up in America, you kind of just always know who, like, Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man are. And even Wonder right. Woman, I would say, you just kind of always grow up with them. And so I was aware of Superman. I knew he had an S. And then I had played the Superman arcade game. And in the Superman arcade game, and this was years before the death of Superman, when you played another character, because it was a four-player game, All they did was they would change Superman's either skin color or his costume color. So there was, you know, regular Superman. There was green Superman. There was like a red Superman that was also black. And then there, I believe there was like a yellow Superman who was also black. And that's how they differentiated the different characters. So when they announced that there were these other Supermen showing up and reigned the Superman, I thought it was going to be those guys from the video game. (laughs) 
Well, I and I mean, it's so interesting the direction that they kind of went with mm-hmm. that with those choices. Like, okay, we've got like the Eradicator with these big, you know, Bret Hart sunglasses, and he's like, "Is this Superman?" They they tried to play fast and loose with like, "Oh, could this be Superman brought back from the dead?" Like, I know there was the the question with Steel. You know, there was the conversation that he Who had is my Lois. favorite of those four, by the way. Yes, he, he's fantastic. And I'm so glad that he's continued past that story. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that he's not really like the, as big or as prominent a character his, he was during that. But anytime that he shows up in any random story, like uh, the week that we're uh, that we're recording this, they just dropped uh, Generations Shattered. Yeah, I don't he know just if showed up. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, I, I read it partly because he was on the cover. <laughs> yeah, like they, they brought together all of these different eras of characters, and it is like Silver Age zany goodness. I just read it like a few hours before we're recording here. But I mean, I was I was a Superboy kid, and I agree with you. You know, when you're talking about bringing him back into that uh, that classic Superboy look, they I, they updated it, put little like spikes on his jacket and everything. But that like you know. Uh, fade haircut, leather jacket, Superboy is like my Superboy. That's how I always remember him, and I'm, and I'm so glad that they brought him back and they kept him in that costume. Because even though I would say probably more people, maybe or I don't know, more people that I've kind of run in my circles are used to Connor Kent in the t-shirt look. The leather jacket's always been my preferred Connor look. I agree. I think the t-shirt and jeans is mainly the product of the the big fandom of Young Justice, which is rightly mm-hmm. deserved because that is a great show. Absolutely. And I mean, Superman is fantastic in the little bits that we do get from him on there. One of my favorite... I don't know. I would, as a Superman fan, I would say he, there was a lot of times he was pretty mean to Connor. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I, I did... I do think that I kind of liked the aspect of him being like, whoa, what is going on here? Like being weirded out by it. But I do agree. He could have been a little bit more welcoming. Yes. I mean, I, I understand his viewpoint and I said that thing. But yeah, it's so interesting because when you think about, you know, circling back to, to Death of Superman and Reign of Superman, and all that stuff. It is hard to think of a time period as a Superman fan where Superman was probably, I mean, Besides Superman the movie with Christopher Reeve, mm-hmm. I don't think there's been a time in quote unquote Superman history that has he's been bigger and more well known, more famous than the death of Superman and all the events that followed. Yeah, I, I mean, I would be hard pressed to argue with that because, I mean, he's, you know, like you said, with the uh, Christopher Reeve movie, that was like, I would say probably the height of his, you know, popularity with everyone, you know. You will believe a man can fly. The theme that has become so iconic to him. Um, that and really the death of Superman. There really hasn't been a big moment for Superman since then. You know, you could argue different things in the comics. You know, Man of Steel, all of that stuff. But I think honestly, yeah, you're you're right. The impact of death of superman and that event really showing like this is what he means to not just that fictional dc comics world but the world at large in the real world there's never been something since then that really pushes how important he is as a character Mm -hmm. yes agreed agreed it's just like it was one of those things even though the death of superman basically created what 
some would argue Crisis on Infinite Earths, but I would argue that I think Death of Superman created the modern event comic book that we're still dealing with even to this day. But, you know, he did it first. He like it was the first big death that they made an event out of. And so many other comic books, so many other characters have followed in that footsteps. And I don't think any of them have had the impact that Superman had. Absolutely. I mean, pretty much, you know, from what we've seen since then, every big, you know, comic book death is chasing that kind of death of Superman glory. You know, when they did the supposed death of Bruce Wayne post final crisis, everyone was like, okay, what are we going to do here? Um, and everybody thought that issue Superman 75 was going to be worth so much money. <laughs> and now it's worth like 75 cents. <laughs> I mean, but it's still, you know, it's 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 a piece of history. I know I have one of those copies bagged and boarded just like just to have it because I'm like I'm a Superman nut. And like having that, you know, knowing how much of an impact that that event had, it really, like you said, like it made everybody in the DC universe, all those comics around that time, Funeral for a Friend is one of my favorite events in all of DC Comics, um, and really like put the importance of how much uh, Clark Kent meant to all of not just his superhero friends, but also Metropolis and all of the civilians, his supporting cast, which is one of my favorite supporting casts in all of comics. Um, they they went through some stuff after this, and I it just it goes to show that a good um, a good character and a strong supporting cast can support a character even when they're missing in action. Well, yeah, I mean, Superman does have an amazing supporting cast, even in the 90s when it got too large, I would argue. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the amazing things that comes out of, you know, Death of Superman, Funeral for a Friend, and all those events is that we get what I consider to be one of the best Superman supporting characters is created during that time. And I don't feel we see him enough. And that is, uh, I don't know what you feel about Ronald Troop. Mm. See, I've, I have a complicated history because I don't like, I think you're right. A lot of times, you know, he did have a prominent role during that time, but he's kind of faded into, I, I don't want to say obscurity, but like, you don't see him often enough nowadays. That kind of, you know minuscule man on the street kind of role is not something that people focus on when they're writing Superman, unless they're talking about like Jimmy or Bibbo. Oh, Bibbo. <laughs> I have a lot of love for Bibbo, even though I, I fully admit that he's goofy. And I, I kind of think you cannot beat the uh, Superman, the animated series version of Bibbo ever. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was how I was introduced to Bibbo. I just, and that's kind of always been my like, oh yeah, he's, he's that, he's the fanboy with the bar and, you know, he gives Superman free meals for life. Like any time that Bibbo shows up in any kind of Superman related media, I am immediately there. But, but I, but I was saying like, you're, I agree. Like I, I brought up Ronald Troop because like, I just like think he is a character that I think should be in the pantheon of the Lois and Jimmy and Perry White and Lana Leg because he's such a great, I want to say contemporary and equal of Clark Kent. He's so good. And also, you know, a big problem with Superman is that Superman is a product of the time it was created in 1938 depression era mm -hmm. and Superman's supporting cast, like a lot of supporting cast in comic books is pretty white. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> anything you can do to improve that, I think, always helps. Absolutely.
So as we're talking about Superman supporting cast, as we're talking about kind of the impact that he has on the world, um, kind of getting into the uh, the topic of our discussion, Superman origin stories. Do you, as a quick question, because I know you were saying that you were kind of introduced to the character in this monumental event, do you prefer your Superman origin stories to be more contained, or do you like uh, influences? Because a lot of modern Superman stories like to have Batman show up, or another character in the DC universe kind of have influence on him. Oh, what an interesting question. You are correct. I think Batman does show up in most of them, which is kind of weird. It's you odd. Know, I'm not picky about that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I would say I'm more picky about that type of stuff when it's an Elseworlds. You know, Fair. one of um, there is an Elseworlds story. I cannot remember the exact title of it, but it is a Superman focus because I think it happens in one of the action comics and it's about like several years in the future right this, these aliens take over and it's in the modern dc universe and you know superman is missing and the whole story is about like jimmy trying to track down where is superman because we can find superman you know we can save the day and in the story most of the story because it's two-parter is all about jimmy finding like oh he finds batman and then he finds wonder woman and then he finds green lantern and and in that story i, I kind of was like you know since this is a jimmy story i would rather have seen just find the man of steel I don't mm-hmm. need to see the rest of the Justice League. And so, but in origin stories, I guess because, you know, when you look at corporate synergy and you look at stories and the way audiences want to view stories now, it's always about how it's connected. So I kind of understand why they keep plugging and playing other characters that aren't part of Superman's story into it. I would prefer that it's mostly Superman-centric, Superman world-centric, excuse me, and then maybe we get one guest star. And, and if we're going to show somebody, to me, it either has to be Batman or Wonder Woman. Hmm. Yeah, I and I think it definitely depends on how, you know, kind of the structure of the history, because a lot of times, I mean... In certain continuities, he was the first. Now, in more recent continuities, you know, uh, Wonder Woman showed up before him. There was... Uh, I believe it was Superman American Alien and then also in uh, the recent Superman Man of Tomorrow animated film where Batman's just kind of running around and he's he kind of gives Clark the uh, the idea to use a cape. And I think that's interesting from like a... I don't know, from like a uh, peripheral perspective, like I like the way they handle it in Man of Tomorrow where they're like, oh yeah, there's he like sees a... Uh, like a little Polaroid of like a possible Batman sighting. And he's like, Oh, okay. Capes are cool. I could use a Cape. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I'm fine with that, but yeah, you are correct. They are doing that more and more now where I I do. I like, I would say my preferred DC universe is this, is that there's the justice society of America in the 1940s is wonder woman on that team. Eh, I could go either way. (laughs) Then, in the 50s, right, that's where Congress uh, invokes that Watchmen-type rule where it's like, you know, unmask yourself or get the hell out of here. And most of them get the hell out of here. And then there's, like, no superheroes. There's, like, maybe snippets of superheroes anyways until Superman catches the space plane. And then that, and then he is the first superhero of the modern era because I like this idea that Superman is this match that changes the world, that inspires the Legion of Superheroes. And if he is just one of a dozen heroes that are already around, then he's not quite the inspiration, right? He's not really the fire. Um, 
so that's, I guess, my preferred DC universe. But as I say, and we say this all the time in our podcast when we're talking about comic books, you know, it's always about making your own continuity. Like, whatever continuity you like, that's the continuity that you use. It doesn't matter what the comic book tells you. It doesn't matter what the movie or the television shows tell you. If you enjoy that Superman's the first hero, if you enjoy that Wonder Woman shows up first, if you enjoy that Batman shows up first, then that's the continuity that you should follow and believe and ignore everything else. Because, I don't know, one of the longest-running television shows of all time, Doctor Who, its continuity is for crap. And oh I my love God, it. yes it is. <laughs> and I love it, and they they actively retcon its own continuity left and right, episode to episode. I still love that show, but I also make my own continuity for Doctor Who of what I choose to accept and what I choose to ignore. So I, what, what do you prefer? Do you think Superman should be the first superhero out there ever or are you fine if like wonder woman is out there a little bit ahead of him you know i do i do really like that idea that you were saying with the justice society because i'm a i'm a sucker for the justice society that is like my go-to you want to talk about like superhero teams justice society is my my first pick but i do kind of like because the um one of the best i think dc stories whether it's in comics or animation or anything is dc uh new frontier and they kind of have that woven in with like the McCarthyism and the, you know, Red Scare and Unmask, all this stuff. And I like that aspect of it. But I think it's kind of cool if you take that, you know, that was a period of time that was your quote unquote golden age. And then you have, you know, Superman, like you said, being that, you know, that spark that lights up an entire new age of heroes. They did something nowhere like exactly like that but with the uh, new 52 earth 2 uh comic where they had you know this whole age it was it was really good like i'm not you know i I wasn't a huge fan of some of the designs um taking jay's helmet away from him and giving him this weird like johnny quick looking helmet will always kind of not sit well with me but uh I, I like that because it also feels like, you know, the world is lived in. It feels like there is, you know, mystery and stuff to explore. I'm a huge fan of, like, lore hunting and, like, world building and making your world have different mysteries out there that you can either, you know, leave to your imagination or go explore later on. But I do like the idea of Superman in his, uh, in his origin stories kind of being on his own. I like the idea of him having his supporting cast because at a certain point, you know, when people talk about, you know, Superman stories or Superman, you know, showing up in other characters stories, there's this really strange relationship that Superman seems to have with other superheroes in the DC universe. People, you know, other heroes either worship him or they see him as like their big brother. And like, there's no in between to that. And everyone like when people come to the room, it's either like Booster Gold's like, oh, my God, that's Superman. Or Batman's like, yeah, come on, you're late. Come on in. And I... I kind of like this i this idea of Superman kind of kickstarting things and him inspiring um, other characters to take up their superheroic mantles. I mean, that's what essentially, if you want to, you know, really kind of write revisionist history, that's what happened with the. Um, comic book genre is that Superman was the first and everything kind of came afterwards. So I like this idea of people being inspired by Superman um, to aspire to be greater. 
because that's something that I don't think is talked about enough, especially when you come to uh, Superman adaptations, especially like recently. Um, the amount of hope and inspiration that Superman inspires in other characters is something that I think is so integral to the character that having it having him make that mark on the world is something that I don't think you should take away from him. I agree. And I think that's I, I think that is part of the character. Like there is part of the character when I think you know, for a Superman fan like myself, that's what I like about the character, that he has this inspirational hope. I mean, especially as that farm boy from Kansas, for me, when I was in an area that was you know, surrounded with poverty and had less technology and, you know, and all these things, Superman was sort of the kid that, that done right, you know, like he left, like he left an area very similar to me. And I found that very inspirational. And I, I like seeing that in the DC universe as well. And um, that's why, like, I really loved when they turned him into a dad because yes, partly Superman has kind of always been comic books, dad. So mm -hmm. that's why I think that like totally worked. And I think that's why everybody accepted it. Cause we were like, Oh yeah. Like this inspirational guy that like sort of pats us on the back and says like, get up buddy would be your dad would be like the best dad you would ever have. Um, I want to go back to a point you, you mentioned at, at your excellent, excellent statement. Um, there is a very interesting characteristic of Superman that, that many other comic book characters don't have. And, and it goes back to that statement we were talking about where, should these other characters pop up in Superman's origin. Superman is, I feel, and kind of like Batman, is one of these characters that if he was the only superhero in his universe and we never saw the Justice League and we never saw Batman, it would still work. Mm -hmm. But it also works with these other characters. And I, it's very funny because I do find, especially in modern comic book telling, that there are fewer and fewer characters that can work like that. They can sort of be in their own bubble and not need or um, or actually suffer because they don't have the cross connectivity. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that's something that made the um, the Raimi Spider-Man movies so unique is that they took this character who's usually part of a greater, wider, you know, Marvel world and really sequestered him and made him this solitary hero who didn't have any others to rely on. And I think that giving that kind of um, treatment to Superman is interesting. And at the same time, you know, I, I have to also mention that that super dad run that tomasi gleason run is one of my favorite superman runs of all time like i it's easily one of the best my um my girlfriend now slash wife um was not a huge superman fan and i gave her that run from the very start and it actually turned her into a huge superman fan because she said the same thing that a lot all of us said where she was like i didn't realize that what I needed from Superman, because before then she thought it was kind of silly and kind of goofy. Mm -hmm. And she was like, what's the point? She was like, I didn't realize that I needed him to have a family. Like I didn't, that I needed him to be a husband with a son. And that was the snap. Like it was like the light in her head where she was like, Oh, now I understand why so many people love this character for so many years. Yeah. As, as a Superman fan, that is my literally my favorite part about introducing that character to other people i have a uh i have a 
really good buddy of mine, Andrew, who's been on this podcast a couple times. Um, he was, you know, of the of that mind when we met, where he was like, Batman rules, Superman rules. Like he he was like, Superman's a goofball. I don't get him. He's not important. And I gave him uh, my copy of All Star Superman, which is one of the best. Um, and I remember I was like, take your time, read this. It's a big read. He came back the next day and he was like, I couldn't put it down last night. Like I'm a Superman fan now. And <laughs> seeing that kind of, like you were saying, that light bulb, that spark, uh, of them like getting Superman of getting what he means and why he's such an endearing character is just, it's one of my favorite parts of talking to people who may not necessarily get Superman. Um, and it's, it's one of the reasons that I think he still works today. Uh, he, you know, of course, like you said, he is very much of his time and his supporting cast is very much of their time as well. Uh, I, I love the implementation of Perry White still saying great Caesar's ghost and people getting weirded out by it, even in like modern adaptations. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, incredible when you're able to give a uh a perhaps a non-superman fan a superman book and the light bulb kind of goes off in their head to get why superman is such a great character and i think that sort of segues right into the discussion that we're having uh which is you know our favorite superman origin stories so uh jason would you like to go first Look, I'm going to be real lame with this <laughs> because um, the Superman origin story that I, um, well, I guess we should, add, I, I guess when we were talking about doing this podcast, we never clarified. We always like to do a thing on our podcast where, yeah, this is my favorite, of course, not the objective best. Of course. Because um, I always think that those are different answers, you know? Oh, yeah. I've, I've always had like, what is, at any time I use the flash metaphor, like my favorite flash is jay garrick but my flash is wally west got it okay so fair okay so we're oh, cool 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 we're all good then all right um my favorite superman origin story is the first one i ever read and that is when back in the day back in the day kids um <laughs> when walmart sold more than those giant hundred page giant dc comics they used to package a bundle of comic books in the toy department and i remember one time i bought 10 comic books for like three bucks in it. There was some really cool uh, Mike Parabek JSA and some other random stuff. And in there was an issue of John Byrne's Man of Steel. And mm. it was the first Superman origin I ever read. And that still to this day is my favorite. I just bought the little hardcover omnibus that they did of it. And if you don't know about John Byrne's Man of Steel... It is the 1986 reinvention post-crisis on Infinite Earths origin of the Man of Steel. Basically, John Byrne was recruited from Marvel Comics to reinvent Superman because he was coming hot off the Dark Phoenix saga. He was coming hot off a Fantastic Four run. And along with inker Dick Giordano, Byrne reimagined the look of Superman, Lois Lane, Krypton, Lex Luthor. This introduced the uh, modern businessman Lex Luthor. And he sort of tweaked everything for modern readers. It made the cover of Time magazine. It was, well, for all intents and purposes, it was the first Superman reboot. And this was in a series of six issues called The Man of Steel, which each issue was self-contained and told a different story. Now, my weird brain when I was a kid, 
I always said that each one of these issues was one year apart. Now, when you read the story, that's not technically correct, but I, I, I still hold to that. So I like to, I like to think that that we're watching Superman's first six years of his career, sort of in like, like we're watching like the greatest adventure of his first six years. Um, but there's so many, this was of course that introduced, um, the very sterile and very antiseptic Krypton. Um, this introduced, this took away Superboy. So this introduced Superman catching the space plane in a, in a normal costume. Mon Pa Kent survived in this reboot, which in previous versions, uh, Mon Pa were not around. And I, I kind of think Mon Pa are very important to Clark being Same. Superman. And to be honest with you, this was the first story I ever read where I thought Bizarro was actually a good villain because I'm not a fan of the me and Bizarro talk opposite because <laughs> I think it's goofy. Um, he was actually like a scary monster. And also, I thought the first meeting of Superman and Batman in this really worked. Um, it's my favorite origin story to their friendship ever. Um, I know that there are some parts of it that have not aged very well, but there's a there's something pure in it and there's something quite amazing that John Byrne is writing and drawing this um and the fact that the quality level for this was so high when a creator was doing that much work and also he was also co-writing action comics at the the exact same time um is, is the fact that this is anywhere close to near the best Superman origin is, says something to me, but man of steel uh, by John Byrne will always be my favorite Superman origin. That's yeah. That's, I mean, if you, if you look up in the dictionary, iconic Superman reinventions, that's going to be right there. <laughs> I think yeah. it's never left print. Like I said, like I literally just bought the hardcover for it and they're continuing because they always, DC always does this thing. Like every two or three years, they always reprint all of John Byrne's run and volume two of Superman, the Man of Steel by John Byrne is literally coming out at the time we're recording this, I think next week. <laughs> like, wow. and there's, it was published in 1986. It is 2021. It's still in print. Yeah. And if, if nothing else, the staying power of that story, even if it's, and that's kind of what I, I love about these, uh, these Superman reinventions is that it's a story that, you know, you know, the uh, Dying Planet, Last Hope, Kindly Couple, all of that stuff. Like, it's a story that you're familiar with, but being able to make it into something that you are still interested in and still grasps your attention is the mark of a good Superman story, or really a good any kind of modern uh origin story that you've heard before you know we we see spider-man origin stories all over the place but if you're able to make it something interesting and something that you are um not just passionate about but able to give to a modern audience and say it's still relevant then i think that's really what makes a great superman origin story i agree yeah and, and well said that he figured out the way to distill it now and i i almost think that any retelling of the Superman origin story, and this is in film and cartoons and in comic books, mm -hmm. retell some part of Man of Steel. Like they yeah. all come from this one retelling. So, uh, all right, uh, I want to hear what is your favorite Superman origin? And uh, here's the other cool thing about Superman as a character: there's a lot of great choices for this answer. Yes, <laughs> I I told when I initially um, uh, 
touch base with Jason about this, um, I I told him like you can pick from whatever you want, like film, TV, comics, whatever you want to do. And the fact that when I like sat down to make my pick, I, you know, did a full list of the ones that I want to look at. And I was like, there are so many of these. And it's, it's awesome that there are so many great avenues for people to get introduced to his origin and to kind of have as their, um, their preferred headcanon on what it is. You know, you talked about headcanon before when it comes to Doctor Who. Uh, with that show, I think you have to do a lot of headcanoning, <laughs> uh, especially after uh, some of the some of the choices made like throughout the entire run. You have to be like, I'm gonna just pick some of this and pick some of that. Yeah, and I'm gonna ignore that fact. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it's the same when it comes to Superman origin stories. But speaking of. Um, stories that kind of pull from uh, John Byrne's Man of Steel. My pick is a book that has a lot of influences, a book that um, is, a, is a little bit, you know, a little bit younger, a little bit younger than uh, John Byrne's Man of Steel, and that is Superman's Secret Origin from 2009, uh, written by Jeff Johns with art by uh, Gary Frank, and I want to do the full rundown. Uh, John Sibyl on inks, Brad Anderson on uh, colors, him and Gary Frank always are that combo. And then Steve Wands in letters. Like it this was an interesting um an interesting discovery for me because I didn't read this as it was coming out. When I was um when this was coming out 2009, 2010, I wasn't really as keyed in to comics i was taking like a weird break because i was you know getting ready to graduate high school and trying to figure out what you do with your life what you're apparently supposed to do when you're 17 18 and um i kind of missed the boat on it and then when man of steel came out in 2013 i think yeah, that, that's correct um i was i was one of those people and i'm gonna say right now like i am a man of steel apologist but there are definitely i, I am too i am too you're you're in friendly company here Good, good. Yes, there... I agree. There are. I fully admit there are problems in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they're they're blatant problems. But there yes. was. Oh yeah, they're big problems. <laughs> <laughs> but there's still some good stuff in there. Absolutely, there is. And when I was kind of watching this, I was like, okay, there is something here, but there's also something missing. And I remember. I was talking to a friend of mine about the film after watching it, and we were just kind of going back and forth. And he was like, yeah, they pulled a lot of stuff from Secret Origin. And I was like, what? What's Secret Origin? And he was like, oh, dude, you got it. So he like took me to Barnes & Noble, because back then, or at, le- at least at that time in uh, Tucson, Arizona, Barnes & Noble was the place to go if you wanted comics. <laughs> and it was Borders. It's very funny. Yes. Well, B- Borders was the place. There, there was, back in Tucson, there was, uh, there was a mall that was like a joint Borders, Barnes & Noble. And then after kind of Borders went out of business they spread over and it i always kind of looked at it as like oh barnes and noble eight borders but uh he showed me this book and it was everything that i wanted man of steel to man of steel to be um this is a book that was created kind of with the intention of doing exactly what uh man of uh 
John Byrne's Man of Steel was supposed to do. Post-Infinite Crisis, they wanted another because they rebooted stuff. They, you know, created a multiverse once again. And so they wanted to give updates for certain characters with their backstories and all this stuff. So, um, and at the time, Jeff Johns was kind of, kind of the guy to go to. And when this came out, he had just kind of finished up a run uh, doing Brainiac. He was getting ready to move into what would then become, you know, f- uh uh, Flashpoint and all the stuff that followed that. And for me, what's so interesting about this book is how earnest it is. And there's something about an earnest Superman story that will always grab my attention. It's why books like Superman Smashes the Clan are is one of my one of my favorite Superman stories. Fair, fair, I, I named that my favorite book of last year. Agreed. Same. Um, it was it was so it was so good. But what this book does is it not just takes a lot of cues from uh, Superman stories from the past, but also kind of reinvents them. Because if you're not familiar with Jeff Johns, the, the thing that he does is he takes a lot of influences and kind of puts them together and either they work or they don't. And that's Jeff Johns whole gig. And I love it. I love the influences that he takes he doesn't always bat a thousand but he takes big swings every time and with this story it's a six-part story similar to uh man of steel but this this book for me is why i like superman you know it takes the first two issues are just in smallville you know they take the time to really establish uh clark kent and that's something that I've always loved about the character. One of the things that I um, that I always connected to, you know, like you were saying with connecting to him as, you know, coming from that uh, rural Kansas background, I always really keyed into the idea that Clark was kind of of two worlds. I am of, uh, I'm a biracial descent, and so being kind of caught in between two cultures was always something that really spoke to me as a character. That's awesome, man. I love that. I, yeah. I love I love hearing, and that's the great thing about Superman, and I, being such a multifaceted character is that, like, look at us from, you and I, you and I are from two completely different worlds, but yet mm-hmm. we still love this character at the same amount, but like in different ways. And I, I love, I think that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was, you know, when I was a kid, when I was first, because Superman was the first character, was the first comic book character I was really introduced to. And I find myself very lucky for that. Um, that was kind of the character because I'm a military brat and I moved around a lot. And that was kind of the uh, constant for me is like everywhere that I went, people knew Superman. And that was something that I always thought was so cool. And this book really does a great job in establishing Clark Kent as a character, because that's that's the version that I always kind of uh, ascribe to. A lot of people like the more alien Superman um, people for probably my entire life have said, you know, oh, you're a fan of Superman. Have you listened to the Kill Bill speech? And I'm like, yes, I've heard the Kill Bill speech. I just miss me with that. But <laughs> but like the the idea of Clark Kent being this kid who is like learning about what he wants to do in the world and finding his place in the world has always spoken to me. Um he was a character that I really clung to when I moved out out here to LA because I was coming from not a not anywhere near a small town like Jason comes from, but I came from Tucson, Arizona where there's one highway and it goes around the town to 
Los Angeles, which is just the complete night and day. And it very much felt like going from uh, Smallville to Metropolis. And the move that he makes is always one of my favorite Superman stories. Um, That's why I love stories like uh, Superman for All Seasons, stories that really take the time to establish he's comfortable and he's happy in Smallville. Um, They even do a fun little uh, Superboy uh, issue with him where he meets the Legion of Superheroes and he's like running around uh, Smallville trying to figure out, hey, what am I going to do here? Um, and it also does a great job with the supporting cast. Uh, Lois is very, I would say, polarizing when it comes to how people want to portray her. Um, I've seen takes where she is like completely unlikable for no reason and then takes where she is just this amazing woman who won't take crap from anybody. And what they do so well here is they establish not just uh, Clark's relationship with her, but probably, just off the top of my head, my favorite friendship in all of comics, and that's Clark and Jimmy. Clark and Jimmy Olsen are my favorite friendship in not just DC Comics, but probably all of comics. And the scenes that they get, you know, Superman or Jimmy really meets Superman when he's like standing on top of the Daily Planet building and Superman's like, don't jump. And Jimmy's like, what are you talking about? I'm not jumping. I'm just saying goodbye to the city. Um, And he kind of tells Jimmy, you know, he talks to him about moving from, uh, moving from a small town, feeling like an outcast, feeling like an alien. And Jimmy is at this point where he's like, I, you know, I'm an intern and I'm not really like making my way. So I'm going to go back to New York. And, the conversation that they have where Superman is able to tell him, like, you have worth, like, you are going to make this happen, is kind of the conversation that I think anyone would like to have with someone, especially a creative. Like, you always, you would, you know, and I and I think, you know, broadly speaking, I think every creative has faced this point where they're just like, maybe I should just give this up. Maybe I'm, like, not, maybe this, you know, I'm not meant for this. And, like, I think everyone would like to have Superman kind of swoop in and be like, hey, you keep going and it's one of my favorite interactions between the two of them and following this and i i love this to death he's like hey can i get a picture of you and he's the one that kind of gives clark the idea to do the the hands on the waist the hands on the uh, on the hips and yeah, the akimbo pose yes and that's the uh, that's the photo that gets him the photography job at the daily planet and this book also includes, you know, Lex Luthor kind of drawing from that, um, from many different stories at this point of them meeting in Smallville, Lex being kind of a jerk and really not, um, you know, feeling like he's above Smallville and then moving to Smallville or uh, moving to Metropolis rather. And also dealing with characters like Parasite, Metallo, uh, giving them fun modern updates that we hadn't really seen before and i mean there is i think a through line for a lot of modern superman stories that take uh little bits and pieces from both this as well as superman birthright which was like so close a second for me on this um and it's it's really fascinating because the uh the art by Gary Frank is astounding. Uh, Gary Frank is an incredible artist, and he chooses to draw Superman as that Christopher Reeve style, which makes this book both in somehow both equally dated and timeless, which is 
I I don't know. I don't know how he does it. But yeah, that's it's, an interesting. That's a great way to describe Gary Frank. Yeah, he he has a way of you know drawing characters that you can instantly recognize, but at the same time you see the influence and you know what era it comes from. And his art is just incredible. The final spread of this, you know, with the Superman like one fist to the sky and hope on his face, is like one of my favorite Superman images and it's a book that i needed right after seeing man of steel and not knowing how to feel about it and it's just one of those books that really gets to the heart of who superman is what he represents and like you were saying with you know the the death of superman funeral for a friend the impact that he has on the greater world around him that's a great choice um it's a really, really good choice yeah it's so funny when you think about modern superman origins it, it really is the fight or the boxing match between Secret Origin and Birthright. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I I wouldn't give anybody guff about choosing any, either one. They're both great choices. I tend to be a Birthright guy, but Fair. I, I think that is because, you know, I lean a little bit further away from the Silver Age than some other people, but, you know, it's it's hard not to... There's a, I mean, I own Secret Origin, so it's so funny. I probably own, I think, m- most of the superman origin stories just because i think superman has the best origin story in all of comics really i really think he does i think it's so good and his supporting cast is so good um that i just love them all equally so that that's a that's an excellent choice yeah i mean yeah secret origin has it's always the debate right like should there be a superboy that is clark kent or Mm -hmm. should there not be and i and it's interesting to hear superman fans and where they come down to that conversation Absolutely. I mean, that was one of my, if if I may be so bold to plug an episode of be bold. Your, your podcast. Oh, I, I thought um, you were going to plug an episode was... of your podcast. I was like, do it. Oh, I, I, I can plug mine all day. Like I, I've, I've got, I've got weeks and weeks to do. I do it every week, but if I could, um, that was one of my favorite aspects of the episode that you did kind of creating uh, Superman's uh, Superman's timeline, your personal Superman timeline that you had with, um, oh my God, oh my God, I'm blanking Mr. on Cameron his name. Cuff, uh, yes, Cameron Cuff. Yes, Cameron Cuff. From Krypton, yes. Yeah. That, one of my favorite episodes of Geek History Lesson. And it's so interesting, again, like getting different perspectives from other Superman fans on, you know, where they, you know, draw the line, how they like to do their... Um, their timeline with the character and i personally i like i kind of like the idea of you know clark doing um doing little things around uh around smallville i think that i don't remember where it comes from but there is a story where he is just regular teenage clark kent he gets gobbled up by the legion of superheroes who give him a superman costume he putzes around with the uh legion of superheroes for a while and then when they drop him back off he doesn't have the costume and he doesn't remember anything of it that and... might be i don't think they give him the costume but that might be the superman the animated series episode because there is an episode of that where brainiac goes back in time to smallville to attack clark and the Legion reveal themselves to him. And then right. at, the, at the very end of the episode, they wipe his memory. So because in their continuity, there was no Superboy. So that mm-hmm. way he, he fights Brainiac. He saves the day. But the Legion like wipes his memory. So he doesn't remember any of it. That's probably I, I think it's New Kids in Town. Is the, is the I name think of the so. Episode. I think so. But he doesn't wear the suit in that one. Mm. Uh, 
But there are several stories that sort of ape on that. And there are even a couple of them post burn because burn wanted to get rid of the Superboy. that sort of right. do that same thing where they allow him to wear the Superboy suit and be the Superboy of silver age. But then the Legion wipes his memory. So that way man of steel still exists in continuity. Yeah. And I mean, I, and that's something I, I really love about that, uh, about that burn man of steel was him really trying to kind of bring it back to basics with just Superman just doing his thing, no army of other Kryptonians <laughs> raining from the sky. Um, and that's something that I en- enjoy about both Man of Steel and uh, Secret Origin, is they both tend to focus on the character rather than the legacy. Mm-hmm. Yes, I-, I agreed. It's, And that's also another, like, that's another, like, that's a podcast for another time, right? You know, is the idea of, like, how exactly do you see Superman? Like, is he mm-hmm. too cheesy? Is he is does he ever get angry? Like, you know, like there's always those interesting shades about like how you feel. Superman. But that's how you know he's such a good character. And that's how you know that he's such a fascinating character is that he's so he's so open to interpretation and no interpretation is wrong. Absolutely. That's and that's, you know, bringing it back to something we spoke about earlier. That's something that I kind of loved about the uh, Tomasi Gleason rebirth run was that you got to see him kind of put on that face of being like, yeah, I'm Superman. I'm incorruptible. I do what I can to set an example for everybody. And then there are scenes juxtaposed with that of him with Lois, like, I don't know what to do with this kid, Lois. I'm I'm just I'm not good at this. And his uh his doubts about being a father and all that stuff. I absolutely adore that idea because we do kind of look at Superman. And like you said, it's definitely a podcast for another time um, as this kind of incorruptible character. And I tend to gravitate towards stories that, uh, that humanize him for a better, for lack of a better term of showing like the thought process of being like, how would you react if you were the strongest and most powerful person on the earth? And how much pressure would that put on your shoulders to be the best that you can be? And I love stories that explore that, um, that question. I agree because, you know, there's always as a Superman fan, you always hear that argument where Superman's boring and he's boring because he's so powerful. Like there's nothing you can do to him to hurt him. And that's why they use stupid stuff like kryptonite. And to those people, I've always said for years and years and years, you know, that I always have felt there are certain stories that kryptonite works, but I think mostly kryptonite is a crutch by lazy writing Mm -hmm. because the true kryptonite of Superman is that even with these godlike powers, he can't save everyone no matter how hard he tries he can't do it and that's where you attack superman in his heart yeah i mean that's that's even though i like you said i ascribe to liking uh both ma and pa kent to be alive while superman is doing his thing you know that's what's so fascinating about the different continuities where uh pa kent dies of a heart attack is that that teaches him that lesson of like you can't save everyone and I absolutely agree. Like, kryptonite's great when it's used well, but when kryptonite is used as like, oh, this is the only way that we can make Superman, you know, have any kind of challenge in the story, then I absolutely agree. Like, it's, it is lazy writing. And attacking 
Clark's character, I have found always more interesting than attacking Clark physically. And those kind of Superman stories where he has to grapple with this idea of being different, of being an outcast, of not being able to save the people he cares about, are the kind of stories that I think really um, get down to the nitty-gritty of why Superman works as a character and why people who, like you said, have refer to him as boring or um, too powerful or overpowered, like, just they need the right Superman story to understand the character. And that's why they're so they're they're so lucky that there's 80 years of like amazing stories that are just out there. Like it's just you're, you're right there. there. I do also believe that, too, that there is a Superman story for every single person, no matter how much you might dislike Superman or think he's boring. There is a story out there. And and every year there's like a new Superman type story that can grab the right person at the right time. Absolutely agree. Well, this has been just an amazing this was fun, you, man. This was yeah. a lot of fun. Absolutely. Do you have any final thoughts on Superman that you would like to share? Ooh. You know, <laughs> putting you on the spot. Yeah, I was like, oh boy. I feel like <laughs> I was just like called up to the uh to a hearing at a trial and I don't have my 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 closing statement prepared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um you know, the it, it's so interesting because Superman as a character, you know, created in 1938, even earlier than that, if you look at some of the origins, you know, of the, the previous iterations of the character. Um, and I'm constantly astounded every couple of years that Superman sometimes always circles back around into being like the most relevant character in comic books. <laughs> it so happens true. every couple of years where you're just like, huh, the story of an immigrant from another planet that fights for <laughs> social justice and democracy is like more relevant in 2021 than he ever was in 1938. And, and it always happens. Like every time you think like, oh boy, we've passed the time of Superman. There's no way you can tell a Superman story. Somebody finds a way. And I love that. And I love that because not only does it increase my love of this character that is inspirational and is this dream that all humans, um, you know, regardless of sex and religion and belief can be better and be like him and be this great member of the galaxy. But it also just ensures to me that I know that I'm going to have great Superman stories until the day I die. And that is a very happy fact that gives me comfort. Yeah. Wow. That is for for an improvised final statement, I think that that works pretty well. <laughs> but yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, if, and you said it, there is literally a Superman story for everyone. There are stories where it's fun, zany Silver Age adventures. And then there are stories that are, like you said, very relevant today to everything that's going on i i do love that idea that every couple of years superman suddenly becomes the most relevant character from comic books and honestly you know hopefully this episode gave you you know a couple places to start if you're looking to dive into superman uh origin stories where where to start is always i think a great place to start with a character but if you haven't picked up superman smashes the clan what is wrong with you absolutely <laughs> absolutely i have I have all three of the, you know, the original run, and then I had to get the trade as well, because I'm like, I need all of this story <laughs> for me. Um, so uh, if our listeners want to catch up with you, want to follow you, where would where would they find you? 
Uh, the best place to find me around the internet is I am on Twitter and Instagram at Jawin. And also every week I do a podcast called Geek History Lesson that's co-hosted by uh, my wife, Ashley Victoria Robinson, where we explain yes. the history of any character in pop culture in a little bit less than an hour. And it's so funny that I'm just on here talking about superheroes because I'm very soon on January 19th launching a Kickstarter for a story about my Superman archetype character, Captain Terrific, and his best friend slash sidekick, Maddie Moore, called Super Best Friend. So you can find that all over Instagram and my Facebook and my Twitter. I'll be posting about it a lot. Perfect. Well, definitely go that. Definitely go check that out. I mean, Geek History Lesson was one of my first podcasts that I really dove into um, when I figured figured out. Oh wait, there are podcasts to listen to. Geek History Lesson was the one of the first that I was really like, this is this is my stuff. This is my <laughs> this is my kind of content. And um, I just, I am very, very happy and very thankful that you uh, came to do this podcast and hopefully we'll, we'll have more stories to tell in the future. Totally. I would be happy. This was an enjoyable time. I would be happy to come back anytime. It is now time for the weekly review, now in Technicolor. This is the segment of the podcast where I review something weekly. And uh, this week we're kicking things off with WandaVision. WandaVision is finally here. It dropped the first two episodes this past Friday, and we'll be getting episodes every single Friday for the next eight weeks, I believe, seven weeks, something like that. But, um, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. WandaVision is kicking off Phase 4. Uh, Marvel is back. Marvel is hitting the ground running in 2021 after a complete drought in 2020. And they could not have had a stronger first outing here for WandaVision. Uh, we're going to be reviewing the first two episodes entitled Episode 1 and Episode 2. I know, I know. Very descriptive titles. But Episode 1's the series premiere starts the ball rolling. And before we get into the show itself, I think it's important to kind of go over the story so far. Um, both characters, Wanda Maximoff as well as the Vision, were introduced in Age of Ultron. Uh, Wanda, known as the Scarlet Witch, was originally one of the antagonists, but ended up joining the team, as well as uh, Vision kind of had a little bit of a tussle with Thor immediately. But uh, by the end of the film, both of them were part of the new Avengers, which leads us into Civil War. Um, these are the films that I think you should... If you want to get caught up, if you want to get refreshed on the characters, uh, Age of Ultron into Civil War. Uh, Civil War continues the story. This is where uh, Wanda's accidental, um, I guess it just, it you know, it's not poor judgment because she was trying to do something. Anyway, Wanda makes a mistake, causes people to die, and so the Superhuman Registration Act, also known as the Sokovia Accords, gets written into law. This puts Wanda and Vision on opposite sides. Vision alongside Tony with uh, Wanda sidling up next to Steve. And by the end of the film, Vision is, um, 
I guess, kind of just left to wallow alone, and Wanda is in prison until she is broken out by Steve. And then years pass, like at, at least a solid like year, year and a half passes uh, between Civil War and Infinity War, which is where we see them next at this point. Uh, Wanda has gone on the run, and Vision has joined her. They have officially become a couple here after the Embers blossomed into a full-blown inferno from Age of Ultron to Civil War. And they are kind of living happily incognito uh, before they are attacked by Proxima Midnight as well as Corvus Glaive. Uh, over the course of this film, uh, Vision is kind of put out of commission by Corvus Glaive, and he is put on the defensive when Thanos comes to town to take his Mind Stone. And even though Wanda is able to destroy Vision along with the Mind Stone, Thanos turns back time a little bit and rips the stone straight from Vision's head, killing him. And with the snap at the end of the film... Wanda is dusted. So that brings us to Endgame. The next time that we see Wanda, she shows up during the big final battle, and she absolutely puts the beat down on Thanos, forcing him to uh, basically throw a Hail Mary and wipe out a quarter, at least, of his men just so that Wanda doesn't rip him into pieces. And you can kind of tell that Wanda's more than a little shaken up by the events of Vision being brutally killed in front of her. Having to watch her love die twice in front of her, I think, would mess anybody up. And by the end of the film, she has kind of allied herself with Clint, who is going off into retirement. And in the uh, in the funeral, she's seen standing next to uh Bucky and Falcon, but they are going off on their own thing to have Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So I'm not sure exactly what happened between Endgame and now, but something sure did. But the thing that struck me the most about this, just starting up the first episode, was that Marvel intro. Man, have I missed the MCU intro. Uh, this one now has uh, scenes from Endgame also factored into it, which is fantastic. Uh, and it was it was just so nice. It was like coming home. It was like coming home, getting nestled into like a warm blanket. It was it was nice. It was comfortable, which I really enjoyed. Which completely is offset by the beginning of the show, which throws you into this unknown environment and this um, really just kind of off putting scenario where we are basically getting a 50s sitcom kind of modeled off of the dick van dyke show um wanda and vision are just living their lives in a little happy neighborhood um and they really pulled out all the stops to make this feel like an actual like 50s sitcom with the shoddy effects the funny laugh track the acting the sets just all around, just a fantastic job. But I have to give a quick spotlight to Catherine Hahn, who plays Agnes here. And she she is a treasure. Every single scene she was in, she stole. Um, and I also want to put a big spotlight on the commercials. I did not realize we would be getting commercials in WandaVision. And they are like old school sitcom commercials. Uh, this first one is for the Stark Toastmaster 2000, uh, which is interesting. And I'm going to elaborate this a little bit on the when I talk about the commercial for episode two. But um, 
very much like a Howard Stark creation, this toaster that is supposed to be, like, revolutionary, and it starts ticking down like a bomb. I just, I really loved it. The actors were, like, visibly uncomfortable. It was just cool, and I, I like the retro aspect of it. They went all in on trying to make this feel like a 50s sitcom. Um, but the main plot of this episode uh, centers around this dinner with Vision's boss and his wife, the Hearts, and there's something unsettling about this show, and I really dig that. Um, the idea that it's supposed to be this kind of like idyllic, um, suburban sitcom about, you know, newlyweds. There's something sinister underneath that. There are mysteries abound in this show, but the moment that everything kind of breaks is when, uh, during the dinner, which could not have gone wrong in classic, like, 50s style, almost, um, I Love Lucy-esque, uh, shenanigans, uh, Vision's boss, Mr. Hart, uh, starts choking on one of his on a piece of food, and as like he starts to choke, his wife starts like saying, "Oh, stop it, stop it!" She's like laughing, and then it just starts to get unsettling because she just keeps repeating those words and keeps repeating those words, like something is wrong here. And what's really striking about it is. Uh, in this episode in particular, is the commitment to the um, to the cinematography of the 50s-style sitcom, where it's very static, it's very, you know, multi-camera kind of uh, setup, and then when it breaks and you get into a more modern cinematic frame, it's jarring, and I really dig that. Um but there's something, like, there's there's definitely something going on because, like, Vision would not get up to help him. Like, after the, even after, like, his boss, like, falls on the floor, like, choking and, like, dying, you know, Wanda has to, like, look at Vision and say, help him. And it's almost like immediately he just gets up and, like, starts doing it. Almost like she commanded him. I might be wrong, but, like, that's kind of how it read to me. And as soon as, like, he's able to rescue uh his boss he like uses his intangibility to reach in and pull out the piece of food he was choking on both him and his wife act like nothing happened and it's like oh i don't like that it's uh it's it's weird it's very weird and i i ah it's unsettling but i love it um and then as the uh episode kind of wraps up it pans out to almost like a tv screen and you see someone is watching this sitcom or this you know look into their lives and they're writing in a notebook and they close the notebook and it has the sword logo so i am super intrigued by this first episode and that got furthered in episode two um i already touched on it before but i really like the uh like i said the use of old timey uh visual and uh special effects you know the uh jump cuts the usage of moving props like i it's so cool it's so cool to watch and it gives it a very distinct flavor and absolutely sets it apart from anything else that the mcu has done so far uh this episode is centered in a 60s style sitcom in the vein of like a bewitched especially with the intro 
which I love. I absolutely adore. Um, the commercial for this episode was for a specific kind of watch, and that watch is a Strucker brand. And that was the moment that I was like, wait a freaking second. Like, these commercials are very intriguing. I am going to put something out there that I don't think... Um, I have no basis for this. I have no basis whatsoever. But I believe that the actor and actress that they are using for this commercial, I'm going to put out a prediction, and if I'm wrong, we'll cover it when we talk about the finale. Um, But I believe that those are the actors for Wanda's parents. Like, we've never seen them. We don't know what they look like. But I think it would be interesting because it feels like, at least so far with these two, the uh, commercials tie into Wanda's origin. You know, the... um, missile that killed her parents was a stark missile uh in sokovia now with this with the strucker brand watch uh baron strucker was the hydra um command was the hydra commander in charge of her and her brother's experimentation um just fascinating i love it i love it i love it i love it um it's so cool so cool uh, but the the watch did show some like Hydra paraphernalia as well, so I'm super intrigued. And now I'm going to be looking for the commercials in each episode going forward. But this episode kind of um, pushes Wanda and Vision into more public roles in their neighborhood, which is super interesting because you can tell that the that time has passed. Like their house looks different. Um, the style is different. Their hair has changed. Their fashion has changed. But it's all the same cast. It's all the same, you know, uh, side characters. Agnes is still there playing Agnes, having not aged a day. Um, but they're distinctly 60s fashion. It's so, oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. But this episode kind of uh, centers around a talent show fundraiser. Uh, Vision is kind of getting involved with the neighborhood watch while, um, Wanda is trying to get involved alongside Agnes with the um, with the PTA, I guess, without being part of the actual, you know, without having a child. Um, which brings us to one of the most interesting characters in this episode, Dottie. Dottie is kind of the 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 Regina George <laughs> of this uh, of this community, and she calls this meeting together to talk about because she is part of the committee to put this thing, uh, put this uh, talent show fundraiser together, and she has this. I mean, it, we've all seen it. It's that you know apex housewife where she's like super catty, but. She almost has, like, a cult-like um, uh, presence about her. Like, when they repeat, you know, it's like, talent show fundraiser for the children, and everyone around her just goes, for the children. It feels very cult-like, and I love it. And then during the, uh, or following the meeting, I guess the radio stops playing music, and a radio signal comes through where it's like, Wanda, Wanda, who's doing this to you? Wanda, Wanda. And it's like what the hell is going on and she like you know Dottie breaks the glass she's holding and she like opens it up and she's bleeding and this along with another thing that I'm going to talk about was the first big pop of color in the show so far it's been all black and white for the first two episodes and as soon as she takes a napkin just like with Mr. Hart in the first episode she looks up and she acts like nothing's happened and she just moves along and like 
Oh, it's so, oh, it's so like, oh, it's tension. I'm, I'm super tense watching this. But the other um, big pop of color, the first pop of color so far in the show was another sword reference. It was this little red uh, toy helicopter with the sword logo on it. And it is bright red. It cuts through all of the black and white of the show. And I almost feel like the, um, the helicopter, like in this could be, Again, this is just conjecture on my part. I know nothing about any of this. But I feel like it's almost like there's a filter. Like Wanda's powers are are creating this filter that is like, this was probably an actual sword helicopter, but as soon as it got into like the bubble of this, uh, of this suburban neighborhood, it suddenly turned into a toy. Because that's what Wanda's powers or Wanda's subconscious turned it into. Like, it's so fascinating. It's so, so cool. And then at the end of the episode, the color starts to come in. But we'll talk about that in a second. Um, the thing that really stole the show for me was the magic show. Paul Bettany is a treasure. Uh, <laughs> he accidentally swallows some gum and he is forced to act like very sitcom drunk, which again, I adored. I loved it so much. Um, but it gave me serious Knight's Tale vibes. And if you've never seen a Knight's Tale, first of all, shame on you. It's an incredible movie that I lo- is near and dear to my heart. And it was where I was introduced to Paul Bettany. Incredible actor. He was essentially um, Heath Ledger's hype, hype man. And, uh, man, I just, I love this. I love this so much. It's so good. Um Really funny how, you know, Vision was using his powers because essentially he was drunk and then uh, Wanda had to go through and, like, use her power to, like, change things, which is, I think, the most fascinating part about this because Wanda's powers have always been more telekinesis-based. Um, telekinesis, minor illusions, but illusions that are just cast in the person's mind. And... In the first episode, that's what happened. She was, you know, moving things around. But in this episode, she is directly playing with reality, which is much closer to her comics power set. And I I believe that as this episode go, goes, or as the series goes along, we are going to start to see more and more... Um, aligning between her and her comic book counterpart which is very ominous if you know anything about her comic book counterpart i cannot wait um but speaking of ominous like the uh the finale or the end of this episode uh there is no other word to use besides ominous um they talk about you know having a normal life and everything um and it's revealed when wanda kind of gets up that she is seemingly pregnant and oh, it's so cool. It's so freaking cool. Because they have this moment where Wanda's like, is this real? Is this really happening? And Vision is just like, yes, it's really happening. And then they hear a rustle outside. So they go outside, right? And they see this manhole in the middle of the street open up. And this person climbs out of it. And it is a beekeeper surrounded by bees. And it look it gets out of the little uh, little manhole and looks like it whips its head around and looks straight at Wanda and they are both like frozen in fear until Wanda just breaks and just goes no and it just rewinds like oh it was so cool it was so cool um, it rewinds back to the moment where she's just like 
Vision, is this real? And he's like, yes, it's real. And then all of a sudden, color starts to spread out from her and into Vision and into the surrounding area. So we are going to be heading into the 70s, I can only assume, because that was when color TV came around. Uh, and I, I cannot wait. But... What I love is that I had this I had this feeling. I had this feeling in the first episode. Because when the first episode, you know, concludes, it has that fun little, you know, the two of them like sitting on the couch, their heads, you know, resting against each other, and it starts to pan out. And there were two like it looked like the shape of a diamond, you know, giving them that little like border, like that's all folks kind of card. But as, you know, it got into it, it was uh uh it's not a hexagon is it is it a hexagon the six the six sides anyway um it was that shape and i was like oh i thought it was gonna be you know the diamond from the uh from you know vision's forehead this is almost like more aim like and i just dismissed that i just dismissed that and then when the beekeeper climbed out i was like wait a second i put two and two together aim is involved i don't know how aim is involved um Especially because the second episode ended just that same way with a little, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it a hexagon, uh, with that hexagon, which is clearly part of the aim hive like aesthetic. That's what they, they have beekeeper suits. They have techie beekeeper suits. So we have both sword and aim involved in this, and I don't know what is happening. But overall, I absolutely adored WandaVision. It is a breath of fresh air. Uh, Marvel is back, and I cannot wait to see where this show goes. So tune in next week for episode three, but for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's comics, let's take a look back at last week's with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And you know what it is. It's Future State Robin Eternal number one, written by Megan Fitzmartin with art by Eddie Barrows. You knew it was going to be this, and I am so happy to say that you were right. And I was right, because it was great. It was a fantastic little story that builds out the world while also uh, putting the focus on its characters. And we got We Are Robin references. I just, I love this book so much. And that's why I was so angry earlier when I talked about thinking that this new Robin book was going to be a Tim Drake book, foolishly believing. I should have known that it wouldn't be, but I had hope for just a moment before it all came crashing down. Um, but it was a fantastic book, great, great heist story, and I can't wait to see how it concludes. But that's last week's book. Let's talk about this week's books. This week we have eight books for your listening pleasure. We'll be talking about each book's title, creative team, and synopsis, with each synopsis being accompanied by synopsis voices. So let's just go ahead and dive straight into it. This week we're kicking things off with a book that you might have heard of before. It's Legion of Superheroes number 12. That's right. The last time it was on the weekly review, apparently I missed that it had been delayed um which i find strange but who knows um this is as i said before uh wrapping up the uh legion of superheroes 
story so far. We haven't gotten... We don't know if there's going to be another Legion of Superheroes book post-Future State, but uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Wade Von Graubauger as well as Ryan Sook. Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The battle for New Krypton is on. This powerhouse issue features the Legion confronting the greatest challenge of any era. With New Krypton on the verge of destruction at the hands of one of John Kent's deadliest foes, the young hero may have to make the ultimate sacrifice to save his friends, his family, and his heritage. But it could lead to the start of a monumental new chapter in the future of the DC Universe. Long live the Legion. So I think this is interesting because this might be the last... This might be the end of uh, John Kent with the Legion. I don't know that for sure, but seeing as how John is going to be making much more uh, frequent appearances, you could say, in the Philip Kennedy Johnson era of Superman, um, I don't know. We'll just have to see what this episode or what this episode, what this issue brings. Next up, we have Iron Fist: Heart of the Dragon, number one. This is being written by Larry Hama with art by David Wachter. Wachter? I'm sorry. But uh, this is a whole new Iron Fist book. I believe it's a limited series. I might be wrong on that. But I'm very, very excited to uh, to read this book and to talk about this book. So let's go. just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. An Iron Fist epic from legendary creator Larry Hama. Someone is killing the ancient dragons that power the heavenly cities, and only Iron Fist and the deadly weapons can stop them, if they can discover who they are in time. Zombie armies, mystical portals, dragon hearts, some of the Marvel Universe's deadliest fighters all converge in one action-packed extravaganza, and the fate of all worlds hangs in the balance. Larry Hama and David Wachter are building a story that hits as hard as the Iron Fist itself. So yeah, this is just zany Iron Fist goodness. I am so excited to read this. I can't tell you. It's just... uh, And they've got him in the classic costume, at least on the cover. I just... uh, This is going to be great. I can't wait. Pick this book up. Next up, we have Batman Catwoman number two, written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann. Uh, It's been a while since the first issue. It feels like it's been a while, right? Like, I'm... I guess the first issue just came out in december i think but it feels like longer than that i don't know but um i was i liked the first issue i was a little confused by it i think because they jumped so quickly between timelines and it's like there's three separate timelines i think going on like present past and future um but i'm intrigued i'm very interested so let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the bat and the cat Chapter 2 Phantasm has come to Gotham City. Andrea Beaumont, the one-time love of Bruce Wayne, is looking for her lost child, and she's pretty sure the Joker is involved. So, who better to have as an ally than Batman? And what better way to get to Batman than through Catwoman? It's a knotted history for this costume quartet spanning past, present, and future. What the Joker did to Selina Kyle at the beginning of her career will have deadly consequences at the end of their lives. Tom King's ultimate tale of the Dark Knight kicks into high gear as the story soars down the avenues only hinted at in the pages of Batman. So yeah, this is supposed to be like the culmination of his story, his Batman. 
And I like the addition of the Phantasm. I think that kind of weaving in like, yeah, Mask of Phantasm happened. It just did. Uh, is really interesting. And the, um, the whole deal with Selena and the Joker in the future, I think, is fascinating. But I hope that the uh, time the timeline's a little bit more differentiated in this issue because I want to follow the story. I really, really do. Uh, next up, we have DC's Dead Planet number seven. This is written by our glorious Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Harrison and Gigi Baldessini. Um, I believe this is it. Yes, yeah, seven of seven. So this is the conclusion of Deceased Dead Planet. And as far as we know, this might be the conclusion of Deceased in general. So we'll just have to see. I'm very excited. Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Justice League fights an army of Amazos for Earth, while John Constantine goes head-to-head with Trigon. The Justice League fight for Earth and the lives of the infected... The final chapter of the best-selling series will be talked about for years to come. So, yeah. Big bombastic ending. I have been waiting for this book. I just, I'm, I love it so much. Tom Taylor is doing the Lord's work with Deceased and all the books that he's involved on, even the ones I'm not so excited about. But I can't wait to pick this book up for sure. Another book I cannot wait to pick up is Future State Nightwing number one. Uh, this is written by Andrew Constant with art by Nicola Scott. Nicola Scott returning to her boy Nightwing. Um, I'm very excited. The clues that we've gotten peppered throughout of um, of Future State Gotham has been really interesting. Getting books like... T- uh robin eternal next batman uh dark detective i'm very intrigued on what is going to happen here because in robin eternal spoilers for that book he says that um nightwing is in arkham asylum we see him perched on top of arkham asylum on the uh on the cover but i don't know what's happening so i'm very excited let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here batman is gone now Nightwing has taken on the mission of keeping the citizens of Gotham City safe from the Magistrate. But to do that, he'll have to stay one step ahead of the Magistrate. And you know things have gotten bad in Gotham when the safest place for Dick to hide out is the abandoned Arkham Asylum. When Nightwing gets a visit from a mask claiming to be the new Batman, does he fight like one? So this kind of... I guess from that synopsis, this almost feels more like a crossover with ne- with Next Batman, which I'm not complaining about. I love Next Batman, but um, I am very interested to see if this ends up being more of a Nightwing book or more of a uh, dynamic duo book, per se. Uh, next up, we have, for the next three books, it's our big three. Um, uh, Future State Immortal Wonder Woman number one. Very excited about this book. Uh, written by Becky Cloonan, Michael Conrad, and L.L. McKinney, with art by Aletha Martinez Je- and Jen Bartel. Uh, very excited about this book. We uh, got the initial Future State Wonder Woman book, which I thought was fantastic. Yara Floor is a treasure. But I'm very interested to see what ends up becoming of Diana. So let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Immortal Wonder Woman, Part 1, slash Nubia, Part 1. The Undoing are coming. Long past the Age of Heroes, few of Diana Prince's friends survive, and most of her sisters have passed as well. 
As an immortal goddess, this is her lot. But then, a threat appears that even the mighty dark side can't handle, and it's up to Wonder Woman to take on the battle. It's big action and high fantasy at the end of time, courtesy of Eisner Award-winning cartoonist Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad, with the popular artist Jen Bartel making her interior art debut for DC. Then, peer into a closer future, as the original champion of Themyscira strikes out on her own. Things have not been stable on Paradise Island for some time, and Nubia has found a new home in man's world. Now, she is tasked with protecting it from the dangers of the world of myths and magic. L.L. McKinney takes this powerful Amazon to a whole new level. So... Yeah, this sounds fantastic. Um, I love the idea of, at the end of time, the only two people left being Diana and Darkseid. That's fascinating. I really, really dig that. Next up, we have Future State, the next Batman number two. This is written by John Ridley, Vita Ayala, and Paula Sevenbergen. I'm sorry. Uh, with art by Emanuela Lupacino, Aneke, and Laura Braga. Um, I really dug next batman number one um but this one is not just gonna have stories of of our next batman but also has two new backups that don't uh link up with the previous one so uh let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis here the new batman chapter two slash batgirls part one slash gotham city sirens part one in this second Future State Batman chapter, wearing a mask in Gotham City is now a crime. And when it's compounded with murder, it can be a shoot-on-sight offense. Batman is on the trail of a murderous couple, but quickly finds that all is not as it seems, and finds himself in the firing line of the Magistrate and their peacekeepers. The gritty, street-level adventures of the new Dark Knight continue. Also in this issue, Batgirls Cassandra Cain and Stephanie Brown find themselves thrown into a prison where the Magistrate throws heroes and villains alike. What no one knows, though, is that Cassandra was sent there with a mission. And in a story of the Gotham City Sirens, some girls just want to have fun. So what do you do when you find Gotham City in turmoil and overrun by cybers? You go shopping, of course. Join Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and a new siren on a gal's night out. They're on the town looking for trouble and finding it. So I am going to say, just off the top of my head, Punchline. I'm going to say Punchline is the new siren. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but I'm very interested, especially in the, I mean, not just the, of course, the next Batman, but the Batgirls one I'm very interested in. Because Stephanie Brown in the uh, Future State Robin Eternal book was on her own and missing an eye. So I, you got to keep an eye out blah, to see if she has her eye still or if this might be the story where she loses her eye. Super interested. But finally... We have what I would consider the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up. I mean, you should be picking all these up, but I think the big book of the week is Future State Superman Worlds of War number one. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Becky Cloonan, Brandon Easton, and Michael Conrad, as well as Jeremy Adams, with art by Valentin Delandro, Sia Ohm, Gleb Melnikov, and Mikkel Janine. Uh, this is a big one. This is a very big book. This is where we find out what the heck happened to Clark Kent. I am so excited. Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Superman, World's at War, Part 1, slash Midnighter, slash Black Racer, slash Mr. Miracle, Part 2. This monumental future state title features four big stories. First, Clark Kent is gone, leaving a Superman-shaped hole behind. People gather in Smallville to celebrate their hero, little realizing that he is across the galaxy helping others. Superman has gone to War World, where he fights as a gladiator in the deadly pits of Mongol. But this is Superman we're talking about, and his idea of a victory does not line up with the expectations of Mongol's hordes. Meanwhile, on the other side of Warworld, other agents are at work, struggling for a better life. Shiloh Norman, the man known as Mr. Miracle, has ridden a boom tube across the cosmos from Metropolis to find himself at odds with an entire planet. At the same time, Midnighter, the greatest fighter from Earth, is punching his way through a whole mess of trouble. He's on the hunt for a new energy source deadlier than kryptonite. His goal? To shut it down before it gets unleashed on an unsuspecting universe. On top of all that, the Black Racer, a girl raised in the slums of Warworld to be one of its top competitors, turns betrayal into a crusade to fight for the freedom of others like her. So that's a lot. That's a lot of story jammed into this book. Um, very excited about the uh, Superman story, of course, because of who I am as a person. You know this. Uh, also interested in the Shiloh Norman stuff. We saw him pop up first in Superman, uh, Superman of Metropolis, the John Kent book. And now we're going to see where he went at the end of that first chapter. So also interested in the Midnighter and Black Racer book but not as interested as the as the Superman and Mr. Miracle stuff. So that rounds out this week's Comics Countdown. And to recap, we have Legion of Superheroes number 12, for real this time, I promise, uh, Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon number 1, Batman Catwoman number 2, DC Dead Planet number 7, Future State Nightwing number 1, Future State Immortal Wonder Woman number 1, Future State The Next Batman number 2, and, Superman, and Future State Superman Worlds of War number 1. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us here on the Geek Explained Podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice. New episodes come out every single Wednesday. And you can also give us a rating and review. Uh, ratings and reviews, feedback really does help out the podcast, really helps out me. This is, of course, a podcast by a geek for geeks. Um, and honestly, just the subscriptions, the ratings, really raise our stock in the podcasting space and get us in the orbit of listeners just like you and if you want to give us a five-star rating and review on apple Podcasts, itunes whatever they want to call it i will read your review here on the podcast you can write whatever you want you give me that five-star rating and review and i will read it here you can join the likes of our four horsemen that being seafire nd josh from panels to pixels matt draper and our newest edition burrito man 88 I want to say a big thank you to them for their reviews and i can't wait to hear yours also if you want to keep up to date with the podcast you can follow us on the social medias twitter and instagram at geeksplained pod that is where you will be getting uh the opportunity to participate in polls that we put up that de decide future episodes. Uh, that's also where we will talk about stuff from the week's episode. And of course, where you will be getting that first uh, link that I'll be putting out when each episode drops. Also, if you want to interact more with me in an 
official capacity, I guess, or a more formal capacity. Uh, if you have questions for me, if you want to get a quick pitch, if you want to get just my opinion on something, uh, feel free to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag. You can send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com with the subject header mailbag. I will read your uh, email here and I will uh, answer it. Like I said, if you have any questions, if you have, if you want my recommendations on comics, you can always send those in as well. I love talking to you guys and I love being able to uh, communicate and kind of go back and forth with stuff like this on the podcast. That's what it's about. Honestly, that's how the podcast got started was um, me just wanting to get these nerdy, geeky comic book conversations out and uh, to listening ears. So thank you very much. Um, and also a huge, huge thank you to Jason Inman once again for being the guest on this week's podcast. If you want to be part of Jason's uh, Kickstarter for his newest comic, I will put the link in the description of this podcast. Uh, Jason is an incredible, incredible creative mind. His first two comics, like I said, Earlier in the podcast, Jupiter Jet and Science were fantastic. If you haven't yet, go back, check those out. And I am very excited for Super Best Friend. And also, let me know what your favorite Superman origin stories is. Is it Jason's? Is it mine? Is it something else that we didn't talk about? I would love to have that conversation with you. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. New Year's starting off pretty weird. <laughs> um, as this episode goes live it will be the uh the inauguration of a new president here in the states so um who knows who knows how this week is gonna go but i am grateful for you uh joining me here i'm grateful for you listening to the podcast and i will see you right back here next week with an episode that i'm pretty excited about with all the talk of the next batman the next batwoman future batman the rumors of a batman beyond film down the line uh, i am gonna take the time next week to count down my top five future batman stories really excited to get into that with you next week so tune in for that same geek time same geek channel and for now for geek explain this is eric azana thank you very much for listening stay safe and we will see you next time <laughs>